Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSB Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast. I'm so excited with my twin brother, Danny Brown, to be really introducing our next guest here. We're introducing Dan Hill, my good friend, who's going to share some thoughts with us today about his work, what he does with emotions, facial expression, or at least what we call facial decoding. We're really thrilled. This man here, this incredible speaker, author, trainer, has presented to professionals in over 25 countries in the world. He's been featured on numerous different stations, including Good Good Morning America, The Today Show, CNN, and he's also been quoted and really published within Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal, and New York Times. I'm a huge believer in people having incredible gifts and talents, but Dan has a unique gift, a unique talent, and we're really honored to have Dan on the show. Dan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Dan, tell, tell the audience a little bit about who you are. Tell us about your why. What are you passionate about? What do you do? Uh, I am passionate about, <clears throat> excuse me, with connecting with other people. I think some of this comes from the fact that my family moved to Italy when I was a six-year-old boy. My father was an executive for the 3M company. He was assigned to a film processing plant. It was kind of like reverse immigration. And we, we get to Italy, and I don't know the language. I'm going to Italian first grade in a fishing village. I am waiting all day for the math unit because it's the only thing I can compete in. And Italians, of course, have a lot of body language. And uh, I started trying to read the room, essentially. You know, what's the teacher's personality? Who are my new you know, classmates? Who's the in-person, the out people? You know, the whole dynamics of it. And I think a lot of it you know, stems from that abrupt shift in my life. But I would say I'm interested in people's value systems, their motivations, their personality, their, certainly their emotional characteristics. Those things drive outcomes far more than we've ever acknowledged in the business space. And that's really what's powered my, my career for the last 20 years. So when people meet Dan Hill for the first time, or they see you in a room before you get up to speak or present, they ask, what do you do for a living? What do you say, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> I tell them that I quantify gut reactions thanks to people's facial expressions. Uh, that is, George Orwell said, by the age of 50, a man has the face he deserves, mm. that we all have characteristic expressions. And I have both amused myself and made a living by figuring out who in the world I'm dealing with. Wow. I could use you in sales. <laughs> yes, this has a lot of application to sales, believe me. But Danny, you wanted, you wanted to ask a question. I, I didn't want to let our audience do know that we have Dan Hill here and, of course, my identical twin, Danny Brown. So we will try to identify ourselves when we are speaking. And if, if it's between myself and my twin brother, you'll know we'll say Danny or David, but then our guest will just be Dan. A lot of Ds floating around here in this conversation. Yes, indeed. 
So uh, one of the things uh, I, I'm in sales, Danny, uh, Dan, this is Danny. I'm in sales. And I would tell you that it's very um, difficult at times to understand if a salesperson is being truthful or not. Uh, but at the same time, we all know that in order to sell effectively, it is important to understand the person that you're speaking with and to be able to understand whether or not they're really being reciprocal, they really understand their message, they really understand what you're saying and what you're speaking. Uh, I noticed one of the things that in your website and one of the things you have, you have this thing called the facial recognition certification. And yes. I don't want to get too in-depth into it, but I'm just curious is that something you recommend everyone to go through in order to help their careers? Where do you get started with this certification process and how does it even work? Sure. So we're really talking about facial coding, which is the tool I've utilized for 20 years and we should probably level set for listeners. Mm -hmm. So facial coding, you could argue, actually originated with Leonardo da Vinci. Mm -hmm. because the Mona Lisa is a great painting because he was interested, if you look at his notebooks, he was interested in what was the anatomy of the face? What were the muscles? How do the muscles move? Oh. His cohort, Michelangelo, concentrated on the body, uh, which is why you have David. But Da Vinci wanted to go to the smaller canvas of the face. And probably for four centuries minimum, he was the greatest facial coder we'd ever had among its immense many talents. Then Charles Darwin said, wait a second, if emotions matter to us, <laughs> then you know they must be here for a reason and there must be a way to read them. And he came to realize that in your face, you best reflect and communicate your emotions. They are universal signals, they are spontaneous, and they are abundant. We have more facial muscles and facial muscle activity than any other species on the planet. So what facial coding really means as boiled down by a professor named Paul Ekman is that there are 23 expressions on the face that go to seven emotions. And those are happiness and surprise and five that might be labeled as negative, but I have an argument with that. And those five emotions are sadness and anger, fear, disgust, and contempt. So in a sales situation, yes, the salesperson might be dishonest, quote unquote, but so can the person who is the prospect. Yeah. Do they have the ability and willingness to pay? Mm. Uh, and so we can get into this because this really begs yeah. a series of questions, but I'll just give you one answer for the moment, which is engagement. Yeah. Are they actually interested or am I wasting my time as a salesperson? Muscle movement in the face will reflect interest level because motivation and emotion have the same root word in Latin movere, to move, to make something happen. As a salesperson, you've got to decide which prospects are going to give you a living and help the company. And if you are wasting your time in that meeting because they ain't interested or they don't have the means to make it happen, you should probably move on. So the so-called poker face may be that they're trying to hide their cards. It may be also just flat affect, like you don't have a chance here. <laughs> this is Danny, by the way, I, 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 want to, I want to do more of a deep dive into this. But before we do that, is that how you started your company with the Century Lodge? You kind of put the two and two together because it just seemed to flow with that, right? Well, the, the, the strange thing is that uh, I never expected to go into this field. I have a PhD in English. Oh, so wow. I specialized in language and now I'm in nonverbals. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the first irony. Uh, the second one is I'm Norwegian-American by ethnicity, and Garrison Keillor has a joke about the Norwegian-American man who so loved his wife that he 
almost told her so. <laughs> so we're not exactly famous for being, you know, outgoing and exuberant and hopefully Italy helped me a little bit on this line. So it's kind of a cosmic joke that I would be in this field. Mm -hmm. But the way I got here very specifically was I was trying to ghostwrite a book for the president of a consulting firm. He had a contact at IBM. The guy one day sends over to me by fax. You can tell it's an older story. Uh, you get nothing that's worthwhile by fax anymore. And in this case, I did because it was a Cornell University publication about the breakthroughs in brain science, confirming what I think we all know, which is that we're largely emotional, intuitive decision makers. And then in fact, about 95% of our mental activity is not fully conscious. Mm. And I read the article and my hand started trembling. I said, this is, first of all, earth shattering. This is so cool. This is, you call it a paradigm shift. It isn't even fair. It's bigger than that. It is absolutely immense. I said, I don't know if I can make a living doing this. I simply am too fascinated not to go there because the business world is lying to itself. I'm really big on authenticity. The business world was lying to itself, arguing that, well, I'm a rational decision maker and everyone in the meetings, a rational decision maker and everyone on my staff's a rational decision maker. No way. We, we have tremendous biases and blind spots and, you know, emotions don't solve all that, but it certainly gets us closer to the truth because emotions drive so much of the outcomes. So it was that article that drove me. And, and then there's a more backstory, but I don't want to give you a long-winded answer. So I'll leave it there for the moment. I appreciate you sharing that, Dan. This is David. And I love how we really were starting to take a dive into how the professional world, we talk about executives and the C-suite and how they can really take advantage of this, uh, this really area of understanding emotion and learning how to read people looking at their face. So Dan, would you mind digging a little deeper or doing a deeper dive into how you provide this type of training or what it is you help executives notice when it comes to these 23 different muscle expressions or at least seven general uh, emotions, but through these 23 different muscle uh, movements in the face here? We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. Today, we'd like to thank our sponsor, AppGallop, where cloud meets commerce. AppGallop is a cloud commerce automation and marketplace platform, enabling service providers to drive revenue growth, achieve agility, and kickstart digital transformation. In fact, if you're in the telco space or you're an internet service provider, AppGallop will accelerate your time to the fast-growing cloud market delivering all the top-selling cloud services to your customers with unified identity, access, subscription billing, and payment management. If you want to sell your cloud platform, you need AppGallop. If you have telco products, circuits, switches, hosting services, whether it's private cloud or public cloud, and you want to include AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google, you want to make sure you use AppGallop, the one-stop platform for digital transformation. Thank you very much, Afghala.
thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Sure. And as part of that, I'm going to go back and make sure I covered Danny's question of a moment okay. ago. Sure. So the certification uh, is offered through Dr. Paul Ekman. It's quite rigorous. I mean, I you know, passed the test, but it's got all sorts of arcane details because the guy created a 500-page manual <laughs> with all sorts of academic bells and whistles, and it's rather crazy-making. The essence is simpler than that. And so I published a book called Famous Faces Decoded, which gives people the secret sauce. I, I get to the essentials and I make it workable. So yes, you could go the certification route, but I think it's rather insane. Uh, I think the more practical thing is quite honestly, I'm not even trying to peddle the book. You don't make a lot of money from books. The book gives you the essence of this really powerful tool and it does it using celebrity examples. So it's also fun. And they're drawn from business. They're drawn from sports. They're drawn from the entertainment world and so forth. So whatever your interest in life, believe me, I've got a celebrity in there that should you know, match up in some decent way for people. Um, so to go to leadership, I mean, leadership is so important. My father-in-law was the president of a, you know, American Hospital Supplies. My dad was in charge of three imprinted post-it notes, production, sales, and marketing. I have worked for several leaders closely for CNN and Fox and MSNBC and the New York Times. Uh, I have spent a lot of time studying uh, presidents, for instance, and presidential campaigns. Leadership is so important because if you're going to bring people with you, as a former IBM executive said, it's not a matter of sending out memos. I mean, it is a matter of connecting with people, motivating people, bringing people with you. You are, by definition, not a leader if you have no followers mm. to come along with you on the journey. So mm. as an executive, and I'll give you one very specific example, Please. but I won't mention the person's name or the company. Uh, I was brought in for executive coaching. Uh, because you had someone who wasn't really comfortable with all the outreach that had been done. They were very comfortable with the strategy and the operations and the legal and the finance, but it was interacting with the employees. It was interacting with the investors. Uh, I was interacting with the media. Those things did not make this person comfortable. The first thing I noticed with this guy, once I facially coded some video that was supplied was how much contempt he showed on the space. Mm. Now, trust is the emotion of business. Contempt is its opposite. You can think of Snidely Whiplash, the cartoon character. Uh, that is the embodiment of contempt. Contempt means I don't trust you. I don't respect you. I find you beneath me. And it shows on the face with what almost seems like a smile, but it's actually a smirk because there's a tension to it. It's unilateral. It's on one side of the face only. The muscle moves up and out. Uh, so it's kind of a smile because we like feeling superior to others, but there's also a tension because, hey, I'm mad because, hey, you lied to me or you're, you're not really doing your part and so forth. It turns out in this case, very interestingly, that the guy's contempt was not for other people. He was actually a really good person. It was contempt for the trappings of being the CEO and knowing, going back to authenticity, knowing that he was supposed to give the boilerplate safe answers. And he hated doing it. Wow. And so I said to him, and he did make progress under my coaching. I said, then you got to let that out a little bit because that's your value system. 
you're actually really, to you, authenticity and being, having integrity is really important. People are going to honor that. So if you can let them know why this is happening, they're going to feel a whole lot better because otherwise you show contempt. Well, guess what? It's reciprocal. They're going to feel contempt back for you because that's what human beings do so often. And that put them in a better place. And so the tool facial coding gave me a means to understand him and to get him to a different place and a different place that I think could make him more effective as a leader. Wow. You're, this is Danny, by the way. Dan, I love that explanation. It's, it, it's, it's so what I call very important to really understand who a person is. And by looking at their initial facial expression, as you stated, they could come across uh, just very arrogant, very demeaning. And, and the heart of the CEO was very honest, a very honest heart uh, who really wanted to tell everybody everything. So that is, that is, that is very almost investigative, the work that you did in order to very, be able to uncover that where other people would have just passed it off and say, you know what, I, I want nothing to do with this guy. I can't trust him. I don't even want to work for the CEO. When in reality, people now will want to be around this individual because they know the person's being true. That is very and, he's, and he's going to have more fun in the job yeah. because he gets yeah. to be himself. It's, there's a lot of stress in pretending you're not who you really are. So yeah, that's going to wear on you over time. Yeah. And so I, I thought it was liberating for him as well. Yeah, I've, uh, this is Danny, by the way, once again, uh, when I was leaving Global Sales, it was very, um, we, we had went through an acquisition. I had closed off, I had to close down a couple of offices. I had to realign certain employees and let certain employees go. And, and the answers that I was uh, provided to give was very, it, I don't know what it was, but energy wise, I just felt drained. And, and, and I, always, I felt depressed um, after going through that. Even though we, I grew the company, we grew 160% over the following year. It was just a point where, man, it, it just, I don't know what it was, but I felt depressed afterwards. It was just- Well, it, anything that involves a realignment, you know, some people are not gonna survive it. Some people's fortunes will get better. But, you know, if you have an empathetic bone in your body, that, that's gonna cause a lot of emotional labor. So, I, you know, I wouldn't beat yourself up over that. It's just a taxing experience. Yeah. I mean, most transitions are. Um, that's why people say, you know, no surprises, please. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in the business space. And the reason for that is uh, change requires effort. Yeah. You know, you can't sit back. Uh, when we show surprise in our faces, our eyes go wide. Our mouth drops open. We're taking in oxygen in part because we might have to run <laughs> to get away from a danger, you know, just to go all the way back to the origins of, you know, human nature and how we've evolved over time. So, you know, there, there's a lot going on there, but it, it is one of the things I find so fascinating about facial coding is how much surprise and fear overlap on mm. the face mm. because change and surprises we oh my god what am i up against now can i handle it is it bigger than me is the occasion bigger than me the challenge and so that overlap is almost complete in fact there's only one expression of the face where the mouth pulls wide and kind of an egads expression that's the only expression on the face that's pure fear mm -hmm. every other time where fear shows surprise is also implicated because some of these expressions on the face go to a single emotion but quite a few go to two or three and just a few even go to four. Um, so it's that overlap that I found so amazing. And then it, I said, wait a second, that really makes a lot of sense actually. 
Wow. Yeah, this is uh, this is David. I, I got to say, Dan, that what you're sharing can almost seem overwhelming for someone that says, just give me a, a rundown of the basics of reading, of reading someone's face. It, it, it's more complicated than that. So uh, you even. But, but, it's, but it's not endlessly. It's 23. So 23, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's not 247. <laughs> it, it can feel like a science. Of, well, it is a science. So. Yeah. Question when it comes to understanding even how to do that in the, in the most simplistic form. I know you wrote a book called The Emotionomics, Leveraging Emotions for Business Success. Yep. And extrapolate that book a little bit for our listeners who might just be intrigued by our conversation and say, hey, I, I really want to learn more about how to reface this. And if possible, Dan, how do you leverage that? And then also talking about what you, I think, mentioned in there, micro emotions. So I know there's a lot there, but I just wanted to get you to kind of expound a little bit on that. Sure. So emotionomics, I kind of thought of as my my Bible. It was my version of writing a Bible about the role of emotions in business because there are so many applications. And I have to say that I was, I'll just stay with the religious analogy for a moment. I, I was a bit of a missionary because when I launched the company in 1998, there were not a lot of people talking about emotions and, you know, inventors tend to have a, tr a tough road. So there was a lot of people initially who were not exactly on board, yeah. but the science and the articles, the momentum has continued to grow. When I started the company, Daniel Goldman had just published his bestseller on emotional intelligence, like three years earlier. So this was starting to bloom, but it had a long ways to go. And uh, so one of my friends made a joke about it and said, well, you know, it's kind of like being a missionary. You go out and you try to convert the natives and they, they eat you alive and you have no heirs. And yes, the Catholic Church canonizes you, but it comes 300 years later <laughs> and, and doesn't help you a whole lot. Um, so I knew those were the odds, but I just couldn't resist going there. So emotionomics in the first part of the book just lays out what emotions are, why they matter, what facial coding is, because people are not very emotionally literate. And this is really quite amazing to me because it's pretty foundational. Yeah. And in this case, we're just going to seven emotions or really six because contempt is a blend between anger and happiness or anger and disgust, depending on which psychologist you listen to. Uh, but you really got six and you'd think you would know this since it's kind of like the building blocks of the human personality. And yet when I've asked people in conferences and so forth, just tell me what are the six basic emotions? Most people get around to happiness and anger. Maybe they say, they go, oh yeah, fear. Yeah, right, right, fear and sadness. They almost never mention disgust. Yeah. And somehow they strangely forget surprise. Mm. Um, and then you say, what, what does the emotion mean? And now it gets really dodgy because they don't know. And then you ask them, what's the difference between disgust and contempt? And everybody practically strikes out on that one. So the first part of the book is just trying to, you know, get people informed, get them up to speed and, and change the whole conversation. Then I went into applications. So I had one on branding because guess what? Branding is entirely emotional. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not tangible. It's, do I trust you? Do I respect you? Am I, you know, do I have a pride being associated with your brand? It's emotional, emotional, emotional. Uh, then I looked at product development and usability. I mean, we've all bought a product and you look at the instructions that were written by someone who doesn't know the language and you're trying to read it and you're like, I am frustrated. So believe me, you know, anger and other emotions come in with uh, product development. Uh, then I had a whole chapter on advertising where I've made a lot of my living uh, helping people test stuff because we're in our own heads 
and we forget <laughs> how this is actually going to play for someone else. And I'll give you a funny example. For General Mills, we were testing a billboard for Cheerios, but it was so beautiful that it didn't work. <laughs> and it was so beautiful in that the Cheerios blended with the background. They chose a golden background. Oh, no. So you couldn't see the product. How can the product be the hero when you can't see it? Yeah. So, and, I, I, you know, and I'm driving and I, I'm going by at 60 miles an hour and I can't see the product. That's not an effective billboard, but they probably just looked at it inside the building. They got used to it and so forth. So certainly that was another chapter in the book. Then I had a chapter on sales. And then I switched over internally to both leadership which is so crucial with emotions and then moving to the level of managers and employee interactions. Because what happens is over time you come in and say, this is my job description, but really over time you have your annual employee review. You, you see your manager, just someone in a meeting inadvertently or not all these kind of, I call them barnacles that get attached to the ship. All mm. these barnacles, all these emotional barnacles build up in that relationship. Mm. But unlike a marriage, you never talk about it. And over time, it slows down the ship. The ship does not move through the waters very well because you're thinking, yeah, my boss told me that, but the truth is I can't stand that person's guts and I'll put in a half effort because I'd love to sabotage them and get a new boss. And eh, it goes, you know, every different angle. But you just have to talk about emotions in each of these realms. And so that's why the book, you know, was that kind of quote unquote Bible trying to touch all these ways in which the applications matter. Love it. Love it, Danny. By the way, Dan, I I I I'd like you to, to uh, go into a little bit more deeper dive in that. As as a leader, how can I um, lead my people more effectively? By because everyone in sales, I, I just go back to my background. We tend to want to hire the same type of type. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, how can I be more? Um, open and awake as a leader to make sure I am doing a, an effective job um, mentoring, coaching my team without trying to be um, what I call picky and just only choosing the one people, the, the characteristics of the people that I like the most. Uh, and I know I, I, I tend to pick on people that act like me, look like me, uh, have the same facial demeanor as me. How do I make myself more diverse and, and open to other things like that? Well, first of all, I, I love the question because for one thing, I'm at work on a new book called The Devil's Dictionary of Work-Life and Commerce. Mm -hmm. And there is a whole section, because I just did the index this morning in the last few days, and there's a whole section called Control, and there's a whole section essentially on diversity, okay. because that's really what we're talking about. The end. It is so true that we tend to favor our own comfort level mm -hmm. over the company's objectives, the department's objectives because we don't want change. We, we are afraid of fear, you know, pun intended. Yeah. And so we, we take the safe route. And what happened to me in going to Italy is I was thrown out of the safe route. <laughs> you know, boom, I'm there. And then it was even stronger because as we left Europe to come back to the US, we went northward on a trip and through Germany and Holland and England and then took the boat back to the States. I don't know that my parents should have done this, but they took me to Dachau, the concentration camp, Nazi concentration camp, just north of Munich. I was a seven-year-old boy. And I remember my hand being on one of the remaining ovens that they did not blow up, that they put human beings in and all the other ghastly things associated with it. And I remember it so clearly. So if you want to ask me one of the things that motivates me, it's the horror of realizing how people will treat other people 
who are different from them and who don't have the power. And so this, I think, is a challenge for all of us because I'm, yeah, I made a nice living from this, but I really went in this for pretty altruistic reasons, which is emotions matter, human beings mattered. Let's make the business world more humane. And I think we can actually profit from that, by the way, but by the way, not the way. Mm. So to try to answer your question and give it its full respect, um, yes, you do have to try to diversify. I mean, I'm a white guy. I'm 60 years old. I got a PhD. I mean, I am a sliver of the world, <laughs> a sliver. White people are 11% of the world's population, I believe, at this point. It will be below 10% pretty soon. So I always laugh in America when we talk about minorities because white people are actually globally the minority. We, we are categorically the minority. Um, and you need to flip your thinking. And who has the money in the future? It's actually going to be women more than guys in a lot of cases. Uh, they, they get hired and do well in corporate life because they're better team players than a lot of guys are. Uh, it's true in my household. I think it's true in a lot of households. Women make the purchase decisions. They control the finances. Uh, you know, you look at where the Hispanic population is going in the U.S. I mean, all of these things. So whether it's U.S. or beyond, we, we have to reflect what your employee base is. You have to reflect what your customer base is. And it is diversifying. And it is not, you know, white guys who went to Ivy League schools. I mean, it just ain't. And so it's got to broaden out. And so I think that's the thing. You do have to say, first of all, practice a little self-awareness. Who am I? <laughs> what is my comfort level? I got to give it up a bit. Uh, I have my tendencies, my preferences. How can I cross-check them? I mean, you have to have so many focus groups have one person who answers. Yeah. A good focus group has at least two and a moderator who backs off a bit. Yeah. So You've got to bring in other voices and they have to have strong enough personalities so that they can change the dynamic. You can't just see it and say, well, sure, I'll add a Eskimo and a Native American, but they're all introverts and they never talk up in a meeting and they're never daring to give an, a, an impression. Uh, that, that's not actually achieving diversity and it's certainly not achieving inclusion. And so, and, and then it's the dynamic of how you treat people. Because even if they do speak up, at some point, if they get nailed over the head enough times, mm. you know, they might back off. Yeah. So once back in the day, I was a college professor. And the best course I ever taught was a creative writing course. And what I did is I sat back as much as I could. I let everyone else speak. And then when I did speak, I tried to echo and bring in the threads of what I heard in the discussion that I thought was useful. So I didn't try to close it down prematurely. I tried to put other people in the, in the circle with me. We literally sat in a circle. And there are studies to show that if you sit in a rectangle versus a circle, you have different dynamics. Mm. A more successful conversation in a circle. Because mm. if you have a rectangle, someone's hitting, sitting at the head of the table. Yeah, true. That's yeah, true. And, and we all respond to, yeah, we're not idiots. We, we, we know there's dynamics here. We know there's power plays going on. I mean, I knew it in Italy as a six-year-old boy, and we know it in every several, single meeting we ever go to. So to get there, to summarize self-awareness, recognition that diversity matters, inclusion matters, giving people voice and actual opportunity. So often we talk in business world about empowerment. 
Mm -hmm. Ah, it's a lie so many times, unfortunately. You are trying for something that doesn't exist in nature. You're trying to say, be a mountain lion, but I'm also going to treat you like you're a sheep. Mm. I mean, there there is no transfusion that has those two things put together. Um, So we need to be a little more honest and say, you know, if I don't want the sheep, then I got to let them be a bit more of a mountain lion. Yeah, Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. to, to make it work. Is this why, uh, this is Danny, by the way, is this why your uh, EQ uh, learning pods, is it why you keep it small and, and you try to keep it centralized more? Uh, I think you, you have uh, six people plus yourself. Is this why you try to keep it small? Is it more interactive, yes. more closely integrated, where you can get real emotional feedback and, and, and helping people to move forward faster? Is that why you kind of keep it that, that size as well? Yeah, my one word answer to your question would be bingo. Yes, (laughs) I I want more intimacy and I want more collaboration because otherwise it's me talking to quote unquote the masses and that's not really what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And then quite honestly, once COVID-19 is done, excuse me, I'm going to be launching this American Faces and Places tours Mm -hmm. in the country and I want to keep those small. I mean, right now I'm looking at I originally started with saying 20 people, but I don't want 20 people. I think I want about 12 people. And my goal is, yes, it's it's exploration of the history and culture of a place and the personalities that come from that place or made their name in that place. But from a business point of view, I want the people who come along in this to be people who are uh, EQ savvy or want to be savvy and are in fields like consulting and HR uh, anything where managers, anything leaders, anything where people is the coin of the realm, because it's not B2B or B2C, it's B2P, it's people. Yeah, people. We are working and interacting with people. And so, yes, I want the intimacy. I, I don't want the kettle call. This is Dave, by the way. I, I love that response, Dan. I think there's wisdom, and we've started to see a lot of shifts, even in trainings and the breakout rooms for virtual meetings now. And why we want to have these engagements with smaller groups because people have an opportunity to speak they have an mm-hmm. opportunity to share and and so i've got to ask is the book the timing of it it could be just perfect with what we've been going through in terms of the health pandemic what we're going through in terms of the areas we're facing with social inequalities in our country so i've got to say it's probably perfect timing for the book but i also want to ask you besides the current events of the world and what's going on with our own country and why you wanted to put this book together. What are some other things you're working on? Because you've, I, if I can remember correctly, you've had what, eight or nine books. This is your ninth book. And uh, when, when is this coming out and what are some of the other projects you're working on, Dan, besides that? Sure. Well, the, the actual origin for the devil's dictionary was two people in a row were on my podcast and each of them separately mentioned that the estimation is about 25% of all managers are bullies. Wow. <laughs> and I had five bosses after my PhD and before I started my company, and two of them were absolutely categorically bullies. Mm. So that was 40%. And it was painful, physically painful, psychologically painful to survive and deal with these people. Mm. And that really struck me. And so I woke up after the second one of those, I woke up a few days later, about 4.30 in the morning and said, I'm going to write a devil's dictionary. Now, there's something called the devil's dictionary by Ambrose Bierce. A lot of people don't know of it. He was a contemporary of Mark Twain. The book is considered one of the 100 greatest works of American literature, and it's full of diabolical definitions. Now, I'm not trying to write a sour grapes book. First of all, I I actually wanted to have some wit and humor. Mm -hmm. And the reason I want that is because happiness as an emotion makes us open up. 
It makes us more expansive. It makes us better brainstormers. So if I can't put some humor into the book, then I think people are going to get defensive and back off and say, I don't do that at work and I don't do that. And I've never seen this behavior and so forth. But the second thing, which is really important is yes, this book has a reform instinct to it. I mean, it's not just the bullies. It's that you have executives who are frankly burned out or coasting, mm -hmm. waiting for their golden parachute in some cases who aren't up to the challenge of diversity that they really need to have in their workplace. I can remember I was invited in to speak in Silicon Valley and the executives were supposed to come. They didn't show. The questions off the floor were amazing, including the amount of pain in people's voices and the questions. It was a lack of inclusion wow. that the leadership was white male. <laughs> the workforce was not terribly female, but it did have Asians. It did have Hispanic. It did have African-Americans. They did not feel like they had a voice in that company. Yeah. I mean, not whatsoever. And so, yes, Black Lives Matters, matters to me. <laughs> I can go back to the experience at Dachau, but this is just fundamental to my whole view of the world. My family is from North Dakota. There was an Indian reservation abutting my grandparents' farmland. It was probably the last piece of land stolen from the Indians because it was in 1904 that they carved off the last piece and gave it to some, you know, Norwegian, you know, farmers off the boat who didn't know what was going on. Uh, but I used to go over to the reservation and I used to spend time there. I've written about Sitting Bull, for instance, uh, out in the Dakotas. So I've always had this concern and this interest. So I'm trying to answer your question by saying that this is a really good time for the book because I think that uh, we got a lot of fear in the land thanks to COVID-19. Fear is one of those seminal key emotions. I think hopefully it makes people more empathetic, more concerned. And when we come back to the workplace, it's an opportunity actually to try to change it. I'm not being Pollyannish and imagining you know, Nirvana is going to break out you know, three days after we all get back in the office. But it's a chance to look at it afresh and say, oh, geez, I've put up with all this BS in the past. <laughs> Do we really have to operate it this way? Couldn't we be better just maybe? Just like Italy threw off my perspective. It gave me a completely new world. I think we would come back and get semi back into our routines. I don't know if they're ever going to be the same, but to the degree that they are, yes, I think post-COVID-19 is a chance to look at this afresh and say, let's be a little more humane. Let's be a little bit better. Uh, you know, let's let's not do what we did before. This is Danny, by the way, Dan. I I'm I'm really grateful for uh, just your energy, your experience, and your past. You've traveled all over the globe. You've learned a lot from dealing with a lot of different cultures. So I have a two part question, if it's okay. One, um, do you believe that by traveling all over the world and understanding different cultures, that has made you more uh, uh, have more empathy? And then two by traveling all over the world and deal, dealing with different cultures, how does that work from a facial expression and emotional intelligence uh, aspect of dealing with different cultures? Because the Italians speak not only with their, with their face, but with their hands. Other cultures is, is more um, intuitive with, with just the different dialects and how they speak and the accents. So I, I know the two different questions, but it just fascinates me with your world experience and even teaching globally and, and doing podcasts and, and speaking at different conferences globally. Uh, I, I know I'm asking two different questions, but I think they both hit the same point where in America, because of COVID, we've been stuck inside the house. 
We have not dealt with cultural aspects. And so it's hard to think about us being, uh, it's US versus the world. And even though we're a small country compared to the rest of the world, we're a small population compared to the rest of the world. We always think it's just our, our ideas, our aspects. So I do apologize for two different questions, but I, I feel like they both kind of kind of hit home runs for me. Well, well they, they are really important because not just the US market, but we have to think internationally. And it's often because we have the Atlantic and the Pacific guarding us uh, that we are surprisingly ignorant of the world. I mean, going to Europe changed that for me, but I've kept it going by certainly speaking in 25 countries. I've been to over, what, 75 countries at this point, including my, my vacation travels. Uh, I watch foreign films, foreign documentaries. I read the foreign news assiduously. Um, I, I think that perspective, you know, from a business point of view, let alone personal development, is crucial. We're going to have to, we, we are going to be a shrinking component of the world's economy. Not that we're going to go away or not be a, a major player, but you know, this is quite likely going to be the Chinese century. And we're going to have to deal with that fact. And we're going to be fighting over economic and military allies and, and cultural soft power. All of that's going to be taking place. Um, to try to answer some specifics or even to kind of uh, bring in a few illustrations for you. So one thing that's interesting is I've spoken a great deal in Eastern Europe. Uh, they are really keen on trying to catch up because they lost all those years under Soviet Union domination. And so one of the things that's interesting there, and it's kind of a legacy of the KGB, is the lack of trust. Mm. Uh, they, don't, they don't believe. They, they've been lied to a lot. Uh, there's a joke, in fact, in Prague that the hardest thing to predict is the past because the past keeps getting recast, uh, who's ever in charge and how they want to you know, make history look. And so um, you have to deal with the fact that a lack of trust is a really hard emotion to come back from. Uh, it is the most reliable indicator that a marriage will fail mm. because you essentially discount the other side. You don't believe what they are saying, which means your only real avenue is behavior, you know, you know, showing it, <laughs> doing it, walking the walk becomes even more important. Anyone who goes into Eastern Europe and thinks talking the talk is going to get someplace, it ain't going to happen. Mm. When I was in Russia, for instance, which, you know, continues to be under Soviet domination because, hey, it's Russia. Uh, people don't smile in Russia. They don't smile. I, I went back to a certain restaurant in St. Petersburg because my waitress smiled. It was such an innovation that I went, oh, my God, even though I like to you know, mix it up and go in different places, this is the most unique thing I've seen in, in St. Petersburg is a smiling Russian. So I, I went back and I even told her why I'd come back and I gave her a nice tip um, for the occasion. Uh, I'll give you a contrast. Africa. Africa, the people had the most wonderful smiles. The only other smile that's seen nearly as great is India, which you know has not just one or two gods. They have all those gods in all their ceremonies, and they like festivities. And they both cultures uh, are am amazingly upbeat, despite you know the historical injustices involved. It's it's such a testament to the human personality. And then one last quick story, then we can go to the next question. So I'm, I'm speaking in Dubai at a conference. I'm like the third speaker for the day. The first two guys are Brits and they've bombed. I know because I'm reading the audience and I can see all the people with the headdresses are sitting there and they're like, oh my God, when is lunch? This is the most dreadful conference I've ever been to in my life. So I'm the third speaker and I deliberately set it up and I say, what I'm going to be talking about today is to quote that famous British philosopher, and I part, 
I, I paused for a moment and they all went, oh my God, he's quoting a philosopher. This is absolutely the end of it. You know, I'm going to lose it. And then I said, Mick Jagger, more and more of this useless information supposed to fire my imagination. And they all sat bolt upright. And that just showed to me that if you can surprise people, you can get awareness. You make the eyes go wide. And if you give them happiness, you open them up. Mm. And the speech went tremendous. And the reviews were tremendous. And all these people talked to him. But it's just recognizing the dynamic you're in and then making the connection. Yep. It's, no more, it's yeah. no more complicated than that. Right. Mm. It, it, this is David, by the way. And I appreciate how you break it down, Dan. Even being in that room, in that environment, you were able to just kind of get a pulse of the room. And for what I do and what we do here at DSB Leadership Group, we talk a lot about your presentation skills. We talk a lot about yeah. body language and being aware. And you pointed out two distinct things. You've got to have an awareness and you've got to be able to understand that your body language, how you come across is super important. How do you teach or how do you train leaders just to just stop, pause, gaze the room, gaze the people that are there, take a pulse of what's going on and then be able to see if they're speaking or when they're presenting, I've lost them. How do I bring them back? Sure. Well, the, the first thing here is that so often the orientations are on the message okay. and it's all about talking points. Mm -hmm. And I, I just try to broaden the perspective and say, it's also about feeling points mm -hmm. because guess what? If you go to the nightclub, you dance the music, not to the lyrics. Mm. You can barely make out the lyrics a lot of times based on the quality of the sound system, but you're going to feel the beat and we're going to feel the beat of the speaker. Love I mean, is there energy there? First of all, if they ain't excited, there's a really small chance of the audience excited. So if they're going through the boilerplate, that's why, yes, when I give a speech, I have the slides, I have a backbone structure to what I'm going to do, but I ad lib the introduction. I add all the comments. I'm just, I, I'm winging it. I mean, I'm doing it in an organized sort of way, but I'm winging it because I want to have momentum and I want to have spontaneity so that it's fresh for me. And I think that you do have to read the room and you need the energy and you need the variety. I think a lot of people lose the fact that the, uh, you know, sometimes say uh, a pause is okay. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes going from humor to, you know, something that's more painful, that ex exposes more vulnerability than we're used to showing, especially if you're a male leader and you think it's all about toughness, toughness, toughness. Um, first of all, half your audience is female or more, and that may not be their ethic. Um, and we all do have our down moments, and it just makes you more authentic. It yeah. makes you more credible, believable. Um, so you should emotionally and in tone and in speed and volume, you've got to have variety. Yeah. I mean, you know, think about a rock album. I mean, it's got a ballad. It's got maybe a harder number. I mean, just that's how you should put together an album. How should we put together a speech? We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Thank you for checking out the Twins Talk It Up podcast. 
If you're enjoying this program and are learning something along with us, please consider becoming a supporting member through our Patreon at patreon.com slash DSB Leadership Speaking. Also, consider leaving a great rating on iTunes and comment on our other platforms. If you would like more information or would like to become a guest on a future episode, please send a message via our website, www.dsbleadershipgroup.com. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. I love that. This is uh, Danny, by the way. Dan, I, I, do, I do appreciate the fact that when you came up to speak, and so many times, depending on what time of day I'm speaking or Dave is speaking, yeah. uh, sometimes I'm the last speech of the day or sometimes I'm the, the guy uh, right before lunch. And so I know I have to hurry up and get it, get it, get it going. But you, you said it so great. It, it's very important for leaders to be able to, when they get up to speak or they're addressing their, their team or their, their leadership team that they're leading they have to be able to read the room. They have to be able to understand how they're feeling, the audience, what's going on. As you stated, come up with a shock, a fact, make people happy, make people smile. Uh, that is all important to re-engage the audience. But that leader, when you're working with that leader who may have their own pre- preset notions in their head, what they want to get through, sometimes that's more important than the people. How do you help them? How do you help them to, to say, look, what you don't say speaks so much more volumes than what you do say, because I, I sometimes figure, I sometimes feel that they just don't think about that. Um, I, I just go to what they get paid for outcomes. <laughs> if they want the outcome they want, they've got to sell the people. You know, we're all salespeople, yep. uh, you know, whether it's internal or external, we're all salespeople. Mm-hmm. So you got to bring them along. So, uh, you know, one thing I say is anger. I said it's really an important emotion. In fact, happiness and anger typically account for about 70% of people's emoting. So all the other emotions are kind of like the grace notes. And anger gets sometimes characterized as a negative emotion, but I don't see it that way. It, it depends on context and what other emotions might be implicated. So anger in a good sense, anger in the sense in which the CEO is probably thinking of it, is uh, I want to make progress. I want to be in control of my own destiny. I want to break through barriers. I want to get this thing done. So they're going to see anger as a really positive thing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I played a little game with them and said, yeah, you're right. And guess what? There's also a negative side to anger. Mm-hmm. And, and what could that possibly be? Ask them the question, make them go, oh, maybe I don't know the answer. It also makes them think about their audience. Mm-hmm. because That's where the answer lies. And so the other side of that is anger also can involve confusion. You know, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're telling me or how this plan's going to roll out. And if I'm confused, then I don't feel like I'm in control of my destination and my destiny, and I can't make progress. And that means the CEO in turn can't make progress. Or maybe they're downright resistant. Uh, I always use this example in sales. I was in, in uh, Toronto uh, meeting with a company and I had to dislodge the incumbent you know, supplier to have a chance. Mm. And uh, so I was trying to make my argument why I thought mine was at least a complement, if not a superior 
the status quo to use facial coding versus lip service answers mm -hmm. uh, because they're not authentic and you're going to waste a lot of money and uh, misdirection. But at one point when I was pushing, I was pushing too hard and I knew it because the guy's lower lip, not just the lips didn't just pull together tightly, which is a sign of anger. It went up a notch. There was a bulge below the middle of the lower lip. That's a really reliable sign of fairly intense anger. And I saw it, I went, oh, shoot. <laughs> I pushed too hard. I went too far. The guy's not with me. I spent the rest of the meeting trying to undo the damage. Never worked. Oh. Never responded to my phone call, my email. I was dead on arrival. I think a CEO has got to know if they're dead on arrival. Yeah. If someone shows that level of resistance, uh, it's probably not going to happen. And so anger can be also, yeah, you push me, I push back. Okay. <laughs> and so I think that shows them that this is not a trivial emotion because it happens so often. And it's a great tool for them. And it's also a great weapon against them if they're not careful. And Agreed. so I try to get, make it really specific and all about outcome. I agree. I, this is Danny, by the way. I love that. you're, you're The fact that you are in a position to win a deal, close a deal. Tell, expand a little bit more on uh, emotion uh, when it comes to selling, uh, closing, buying, purchasing. Now we got the holidays coming up. Uh, businesses are trying to do year-end closes for their fiscal year-end. Um, more retailers trying to do year-end close with these all, all holiday specials. Everything is uh, emotional-based. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you expand upon that a little bit more? Because uh, marketers do it, do advertising commercials. But for me and my twin brother, we are closing on the phone on video conferencing, web conferencing. So we have to, we have to express with facial expressions, excitement, zeal and, and joy and things like that. So how can we use this emotional intelligence to uh, in our purchasing decision? Um, well, you know, when you're on the phone, obviously one cannot do facial coding and, you know, certainly I've done a good deal of my selling by phone. It just meant I had to become much more sensitive to the, uh, what was not said <laughs> and the nuances and the rhythm of what was said and just, you know, use emotional intelligence to try to divine where I thought I was at. Uh, fortunately, thanks to Skype <clears throat> and now thanks to Zoom, uh, this has gotten a whole lot better because then I can, I can plug the tool back in. And in fact, what you typically see is just their, you know, top part of their bodies and you get to see their background, their setting. You know, how do they decorate their office if they're working from home? And that actually can give you clues. Uh, my mom was an interior designer for a little bit in her career. Uh, she loved art. She loves visuals. Uh, it's probably part of the reason why I'm a facial coder, besides the other explanations that I gave you. There are real clues as to people's values and vision and orientation from all of those things going on, in fact. Um, and so I, I think it's really helpful. So let's just run through the, the, the basic emotions in a sales situation. Uh, so you obviously want happiness because it can be expansive and a matter of uh, someone embracing you. But there's also a risk that if the humor is coming, uh, if the happiness is coming primarily from humor, uh, unless you're Jerry Seinfeld, you're not actually making your living off the humor. So, you know, is it disruptive? Is it just a, a sidetrack? Uh, when you get to the rest of the conversation, does the happiness linger? Right. When I'm a facial coder, I look at four levels of happiness from joy, where the muscle around the eye tightens, you get the twinkle in the eye, down to a term that David brought in earlier, micro expressions, mm -hmm. where it's really brief on the face. Well, if the smile's real brief, 
that's what I call a begrudging smile or acceptance. It's kind of like the Filene's bargain basement of happiness. Mm. You probably can't make a lot of money there. Not that, not that they're going to be joyful in a sales conversation, but you're hoping for more than that. Uh, surprise, you know, they may come in with some presuppositions or maybe an incumbent power. Uh, you know, you, you do need some twist to, to bring them along at some point, uh, whatever that surprise may be. Uh, maybe you're faster, maybe it's cheaper, you're better in some way, uh, you're more personable, they're going to enjoy the relationship more, you've got unique experience that you can bring to bear. Something that you know, makes, as I said, the eyes go wide, mouth drop open, um, you're hoping for that. So those are the two positive ones. Anger, you have to be really careful. I, I just mentioned the confusion yeah. and, and the resistance. And so I think we've covered that pretty well. But obviously, if you confuse them, <laughs> very little chance this deal is going anyplace. Um, then we need to move into sadness. Yeah. Sadness can be, if you're lucky, the sadness is about the incumbent. <laughs> they were disappointed in, in what they've seen or gotten to date. And that's a real opportunity for you. Uh, it's also an empathetic emotion, sadness. So you've got to show empathy. You've got to actually show you care about their pain, not just that you're going to be a lone wolf swooping in to try to take the sale. Because that makes them think you're the same person that you just were dealing with who made them disappointed. Never forget that sadness is a lot about feeling helpless, hopeless, isolated. Make it a we, not I'm coming after your money. Uh, that's really important. Um, fear, fear stops people in their tracks. Mm. Fear makes them back off, go away. Uh, as I said, that EGADS expression uh, is, is the real, the, the telltale thing here. But you've got to try to mitigate the fear. It's easier than, than contempt, actually, to mitigate because you just got to find a way to get them to a comfort level. You might have to pivot to a joke for a moment. Find some point of affinity that makes them feel like, I get you, you know, I, I was here, I did this, I did that, and, and so forth. Um, what do we got left? Contempt, boy, a really tough one. If you say something in the meeting that creates contempt, then that's the stain that you have to try to get out of the carpet. I don't know that you can do it. It's probably a lesson learned for next time and the next sale instead. Disgust is a related emotion, but they're really totally different. This is, to me, perhaps the most fascinating thing of all the core emotions that you can get to through facial coding. Disgust is a really visceral base emotion. It's very strong. I see it in people who want to achieve a lot. I've done a lot of work in college and pro sports. Great athletes. Uh, I'm a tennis guy. So uh, great tennis players like Rafa Nadal and Sarah, uh, Serena Williams, they show disgust mediocrity of performance is despicable to them. They have no interest in being an all-saran. Win, win, and then win some more is what they're after. If you're in a meeting with someone who shows that, I would say appeal to their desire to have superior performance because disgust means something smells bad and tastes bad. Mm. You want to get away from it. Help them get away from what stinks, from yeah. what is poisonous. If you go back to the origins of human nature, it's easy to imagine that this emotion comes from uh, eating a fruit that's going to be poisonous and make you wretch, uh, drinking from a water hole that's stagnant water and it's going to kill you off. That, that's why it's such a powerful visceral emotion. Contempt is also a rejection emotion, but it's totally different. Uh, contempt is almost attitudinal. 
It's almost a cognitive emotion, which is a contradiction in terms. You arrive at a judgment about somebody, something, some situation that you think is not worthy of your respect. And you don't want to be on that plane. So it shares that not wanting to be on the same plane with something and moving away from it as discussed, but it's really the afterburner. Disgust comes really quickly and is really strong and contempt is a little bit lighter uh, in that it doesn't have the same weight to it, but it has the same, it has a more devastating toxic outcome. Ultimately, the only caveat there is that sometimes contempt if it's combined with happiness is actually a sign of cockiness. <laughs> and that means a very different person you're selling to. They feel really good about themselves. Um, you're not going to make any money by telling them to feel bad about themselves. So certainly you're not going to go there, but you can jo- try to join that same slipstream. And I'm not trying to be manipulative. I'm simply saying this is the person you got. And a happy person, the downside to happiness is that happy people tend to be sloppy with the details. Mm. And so someone who's cocky smirking uh, is a different person than someone who's angry smirking, like Prince, the the rock star from my hometown in Minneapolis, St. Paul, showed a lot of contempt and it was the angry one. You know, he didn't like the record deal. He probably didn't, you know. You know, the black community is quite small in Minnesota. Uh, obviously, it's, it's where, you know, the killing took place this summer that sparked the latest round of the Black Lives mo- Movement. Uh, Twin Cities is very affluent, generally speaking. We have the biggest disparity between the white community and the African-American community on household assets in America, I believe. All of this stuff happens in a context. And so did that inform Prince and who he was as a person? Oh, I think Absolutely. Um, so you always have to take into account who you're dealing with, but I just go through the checklist and I look to see how do the emotions move? What's the choreography of the, of the meeting? Uh, what's the combination? Because, you know, I've tried to simplify this for you, but of course, very often people will show more than one emotion at the same time or in close conjunction. So, you know, I, am trying to give you the BA level, but the masters or the PhD means you start to put it together. <laughs> and it also means you get the real fluidity for how you're going to respond to it in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I am saying that this is accessible and this is doable, but I'm also admitting that, you know, you are rewarded to the extent that you take it seriously and that you continue to try to lift your game just like everything else. I'm trying to change my tennis grip after 47 years because I said, I'm tired of being a pretty good player, but not a great player. And I want to go to another level. Uh, so I'm urging everyone who's a listener uh, to say, can you take this to another level? You can. You just yeah. got to make the effort. Yeah. Can I ask this question, Dan? And I appreciate you going into really understanding the different emotions and how we can respond or at least sell to that advantage. How about that? But we also sell on emotion, not just look to people when they're buying on emotion. So let's say you are confronting somebody who is in contempt and your natural reaction isn't to smile and be happy. You, you want to get angry too. You want to get frustrated. <laughs> so how do you help professionals not to in return respond with the adverse emotion? Uh, because if you do that, then you kind of just taking it off the rails. You're not going to get the, the sell. But um, no. yeah, no. What's that? It, it, it's a great question. I mean, you know, emotions really are contagious. 
And so what you're talking about is a difficult thing. Uh, I think the first thing is go back to self-awareness. You know, you got to mm -hmm. monitor a bit, uh, take your own emotional temperature in the meeting. I'll, I'll give you an example. I started my company in, in San Diego, and then I brought it back home to Minnesota. So it had been about three, four years since I'd been on the East Coast. And I'd forgotten that, you know, in New York, uh, you know, I, I, again, I'm from Minnesota, Norwegian American, you know, if we, you know, for us, you know, nuclear war might cause us to lift our eyebrow. You know, we don't show a lot of emotion and we, we generally tend to be Minnesota nice to a, to a fault. Um, so I'm, I'm in this meeting in New York with an ad agency and the guys, to my mind, being super contentious, you know, and condescending and jumping in every answer I give them and this and that. And I'm starting to get mad and I go, wait a minute, this is New York. <laughs> this, this is just a given. You know, it's not personal. It's not even about your content. It's just who he is, what he's used to, what the norms are. And then I relaxed. And then it was okay. And I, and I you know, I avoided what could have been a fruitless confrontation that would have certainly gotten me nowhere uh, down the road. So I, I think that, again, about 30% of our emoting tends to be around happiness. It, it's the one safest place to get to or to be. And so if you can go back to it, it's about embracing. Mm -hmm. So maybe you embrace their last answer. You don't, you, even though you don't like it, you take it and then you'd say, what is its implication? Can I take that to the next level? You know, you, you're really angry because, you know, this is a situation in the company and you don't see there's a solution. Everyone who comes to you in a meeting is giving you a false solution. Mm -hmm. Can you set that up that you're, you're not going to be able to give them a complete solution. The, the problem is too intractable, but you can give them a partial solution and get credit for giving him a partial solution and acknowledging it's a partial solution, but you're going to care about his problem or her problem. And you're going to move, you're going to move it a little bit, you know, down the field. So it all is going to come back ultimately to happiness. Yeah. And it's going to come back to engagement because if they drop out of the conversation, you know, it's over, even though the time may not be up for the meeting, the conversation's actually over. Um, I, I remember I, I managed a, a deal with Toyota and I knew that the key person was in the back corner and he was sneaking a lot of looks at his smartphone. And I thought, if I don't reel this guy in, the other seven people in the meeting, they don't matter. They're not the decision maker. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get this project. So I'm kind of talking and going through my slides. And then I'm kind of thinking about the one or two times in the conversation where he actually interacted with me. And then I deliberately brought in one of those moments because everyone cares about themselves. You know, the most powerful radio station in the country is WIIFM. What's in it for me? <laughs> it's got the best bandwidth by far. So what did I do? I, I echoed something he had said earlier because we care about what we said. And I made him look up from his smartphone. Then I followed up because I'd already thought of what I wanted to say next to try to punch it home with the guy. And then he paid attention to the rest of the meeting and I got the deal. Awesome. So I'm not saying any of this is easy, and I'm not saying I've never failed. I'm just saying you got to play the situation, which means you got to be attentive. Yeah, I think too many salespeople, uh, consultants, et cetera, come in with boilerplate. Yeah. They come in with their talking points. Executives do it too. Boom, boom, boom. I had a good meeting because I hit all of my talking points. I showed all of my slides. Did they care? <laughs> you know, did you leave the meeting on an emotional high note or like, oh, thank God he's out of the office? Um, you know, a lot of it comes down to that. I appreciate you sharing that, Dan. It's been really a thrill 
being able to speak with you today. And like I said, you mentioned earlier, Dan and I are still getting our associate's degree in this arena. We would love to get more time with you to learn more, read more of your material. I can't wait for your next book. And I'm going to go back and look at some of the other books, including Famous Faces, Decoded, Emotionomics. That's fantastic. I will say that uh, the thing that really blows me away is the ability to capture your own emotion, knowing your own state, where you are, and then in turn, capture where everybody else is at. And I think that's really important to be a successful speaker, negotiator, let's say an executive. And uh, even when it comes to the world of tennis, I love Rafael Nadal. Uh, there's a smoothness about uh, Federer and just the calmness and demeanor of his emotion. But when he started off early on, he was a fiery, emotional, out yeah. of control player. And he someone was. had to help him bring that in, reel that in a little bit. And so it's fun. And I, and I think it's sad to see uh, Djokovic, kind of the Joker, kind of bringing on that bad boy mentality now. Now, let Let's just go on and have some great tennis, get back to wanting to be your best that you can be, because uh, that's what we enjoy. We want to see the big three play well. Well, you know, Jokovic is a Serbian, and the Serbians um, are an interesting, you know, country. Uh, you know, they're under Muslim domination. Uh, they fought back really hard against the Nazis. They took tremendous, uh, you know, number of casualties. Uh, it is in the Serbian mentality uh, to think of themselves as martyrs. Mm. and to fight back savagely. And mm. I don't know if Jokovic, I mean, Jokovic has a great game, um, but yes, is he the fan favorite of Rafa and, and Roger? No, he is not. I, I don't know that he can get there. It would certainly take more EQ than he's shown so far. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Dan, again, for joining us today on uh, really, really thrilled. I'm going to leave information for our audience to be able to find you, learn more about you and really getting insight into your new book. I'm really excited about that coming out. And so Dan, and I want to thank you again for joining us today, Dan. I look forward to more conversations. We'd love to get your feedback on one of my keynote speeches I've been doing. And I'm thinking now I've got to get you to go back and really <laughs> carve that up a little bit because I really feel like in so many ways, it's, it's in line with what you're teaching. And I really want to learn from that. I appreciate that. So thank you for joining us. And for those of you that are out there that are interested in continuing to support our program, go to our website or also go to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash DSB Leadership Speaking. Let us know how we can serve you. Let us know how we can be able to put out the topics that you're interested in. I know that this episode is going to be a hit for many of you out there. So we want to thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Dan, for being our guest today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, David. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everyone. We'll see you in the next episode of the Twins Talking Up Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSB Leadership and visit us online at dsbleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.